Well, welcome to the Space Biff Book Space podcast. Is that it? Oh my goodness, just say it. You know what it is. No, I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> space, space Biff Book Space? Yes, okay, there we go. That's us. It's confusing. It's not confusing. Because it's, it's like a tongue twister. Say it five times fast and you'll get it forever. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Space Biff Book Space podcast. I am Somerset Winters, and we also have Brock. That's me, Brock Polson. Polson. Hi. And, hey and Dan Thoreau. Thank you, Summer. Yes. It's nice to meet you. Nice to be here. Uh, yeah. In this studio. <laughs> <laughs> For our 13th episode. Yes. Welcome. Today are we going to call it the 13th episode, or are we going to skip that, go straight to 14? Oh, like in hotels? Yeah. And airplanes. And? Really? And sexual liaisons. <laughs> you you are supposed to skip the 13th one. Huh. That's, I've heard that. Yeah. Nah, right. let's not do it. It'll be a train wreck. Okay. <laughs> well, today we're discussing the uh, the calculating stars. Yes. Yeah. Oh. By oh, by uh, Mary Robinette Cole. Kowal. 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 Okay. She's a puppeteer in addition to being yes. a writer. Yes, I it read comes that. through in her writing. <laughs> she really understands the way that people dangle from strings. Or yeah. like how their voices are in different places than you think. Yeah, that's true too. <laughs> Artificial movements. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, we're gonna we're gonna rate the book now. So everyone's supposed to think of one word oh, and then oh, right. thumbs up or thumbs oh, no. down. I forgot. Okay. Okay. Uh, should we should we establish an order for who's gonna go? Um, Does everyone need a moment to think of, I'm a, ready. of a word? Excellent. I'm holding out my thumb uh, it, it horizontally, appears, much yes. like Joaquin Phoenix in. The Academy Award-winning film and historical <laughs> masterpiece, Gladiator. Oh boy! Does that mean you're ready to? Yeah, which, building tension. which way will up or down? Which way will it I, go? Okay, I need to think of a word. I need to think of a word. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, Brock, why are you ready? What? Well, who should go first? You're in charge, Summer. Uh, I'll go first. Ooh, no, I I don't want to go first. Brock, you go first. Okay, uh, my my rating is a thumbs up, and my adjective is d- deflated. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! But it's a thumbs up. It, but it is a thumbs up. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Should I go? Okay, go. Okay, I am going to give it a spaceless thumbs down. Ooh. Oh no. Yep. Spaceless. Spaceless was your word. <laughs> yeah. <Wow>. You're right. <laughs> okay, I am going to give it a thumbs down. Oh, no. And the Whoa. word is vomit. Whoa. She does a lot of vomiting. A vomitous. Yeah. Vomitous. Vomitrocious. Oh. Well, I didn't Squamous. say vomitrocious. Just vomitous. Vomitous, that's a good, that's yeah. Not that I was vomitous reading it. I oh, I see, enjoyed reading parts of it, but that's the that's word that came I to assumed. mind, just for a word. 
<laughs> well, maybe we'll persuade one another. Okay. Potentially. Yeah. Uh, I have my doubts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I So I, I will clarify, this was like a barely thumbs down. Right. Well, yeah. If we the could the do thumbs the, up, thumbs down. If we could do the sideways thumb, which is against the rules, yeah. I probably would have done a sideways thumb. Yeah. So it goes. Yeah. We don't cotton to sideways thumbs. <laughs> We're like binary. <laughs> yeah. Ones and zeros. With very nebulous language. Yeah. To uh, to mitigate the harshness of binary, or to accentuate, in your cases. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brock, it's my understanding that you have some totally true spoilers. You know, your your uh, understanding is nearly correct. Oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, Much like this book's understanding of space. <laughs> <laughs> what I brought with me are oh some my. wrong spoilers. Okay. Uh, I only have a few, but uh, I crafted them. I had time to, to really Ooh. to really develop these wrong spoilers. So I'm excited to hear them. Uh, you might have guessed there were some alternate titles uh, considered for the Calculating Stars. Uh, the first alternate title was Elma and Nathaniel's Very Bad Day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another alternate title was It's Not Like This Anymore, Right? <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, and the last alternate title that was considered uh, The Nerdly Weds. <laughs> oh, no. I like that. <laughs> the Nerdly Weds. Yeah, it does seem like they're newly married, doesn't it? Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> Two years now, later. With all those now, puns. Yes. In uh, the now they're, oh. they're spoiling some of the synopsis. Oh, you, sorry. you literally are spoiling the next wrong spoilers as well. <laughs> uh, so there was some other space-related innuendo that was cut from the sex scenes uh, in this book, um, wherein. Nathaniel said to Elma, uh, quote, I'm going to show you the real orbit trim maneuver. Uh, so that, that was one. Wow. Um, Is that something you've of, used? A, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't do a lot of research into, I, I didn't go to uh, Urban Dictionary or Space Urban Dictionary for any of these. So, you know, your guess is as good as mine. Uh, Another one, a, a bit of narration. Uh, Nathaniel stood in the doorway, his medium gain antenna transmitting very clear signals. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> uh, I could tell what specific impulse he had in mind. Um, and then finally, after all the stress of the launch, it was time for a visit to the thrust chamber. <laughs> You know, I'm I'm mostly just impressed that you didn't take any low-hanging Uranus fruit. <laughs> uh, no, I, you know, many of those got, got cut, even from what was cut. Uh, side note, the thrust chamber is also a great band name. So if you're, if you're in the market. Also the name of Brock's sex tape. <laughs> yeah, keep an ear out. Yeah, so that was my that nice. was my wrong spoiler. Those are good ones. I like those yeah, a lot. I had fun with those. All right, Dan. 
What am I doing? We're on to the real spoilers where you're going to give us the synopsis. Okay. Real and fake spoiler alert. Because <gasps> no. that's how these synopses okay. end up going. No, stop. I made this. <laughs> I based this on the novel. Like if this were a movie adaptation, it could say based on a true fictional novel. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's so based on is what okay. we're... Okay. <laughs> and today I'm proud to announce that I actually have a guest star for my synopsis. <gasps> this it, is unprecedented. Summer is going to be reading um, her own parts. Oh my gosh. She's, Fantastic. Summer is starring as Summer. Much like that awful <laughs> Clint Eastwood train movie where he got <laughs> actual people to be them as they were in real life and it was they weren't actors. Okay, huh. you ready? Yes. That's not a reference so I get, excited. but I am ready. Okay. <clears throat> me, 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 me. It's the far future. 1952. <laughs> that might sound misleading, but you can tell it's the future because the protagonist, Elma York, forthrightly tells us about how she and her husband, Nathaniel, went to a cabin to bang each other's brains out. <laughs> that would never happen in the real 1952. <laughs> As they cringe their way through some post-coital pillow talk, an explosion detonates on the horizon. Is it an A-bomb? The Ruskies? No, it's a meteor. After an extra 15 minutes of detailed sexing, Elma and Nathaniel <laughs> decide to clear out before the air blast wipes out the cabin. <laughs> Driving down the mountain, they take shelter in their car. The air blast sweeps past, knocking down trees and blowing out their eardrums. Because this is the far future, their eardrums immediately repair themselves with nanotechnology. <laughs> <laughs> they head down to the airstrip where Elma parked their airplane. They walk past an old man who was stabbed by flying debris, climb over 10,000 fallen trees, and evade a patrol of guzzoline raiders who are spray painting their mouths silver and hollering Valhalla. <laughs> that was fast. This was a fast collapse. <laughs> At the airstrip, Nathaniel's all, good thing you left our airplane out here on the tarmac instead of parking it in the hangar that got flattened by the air blast. And to think I called you a frivolous schnitzel at the time. <laughs> I love you. They have sex while they fly away. Ew. <laughs> but watch out, debris is falling. The plane is hit by a chunk of something, so they glide toward a military base. On the radio, a voice is all, It's an attack by the Ruskies. Launch everything we've got. Elma's all, it was a meteorite, which is different from a meteor in ways that Dan has already forgotten. <laughs> the guy on the radio is all, is there a man I can speak to? <laughs> Nathaniel gets on the horn and goes, hi, it's me, Nathaniel. Don't need your name, sir. Just needed to hear a man's voice. Guess we won't launch any nukes after all. Good thing level-headed men are in charge of our arsenal, not silly hysterical ladies. <laughs> Give your gal a pinch on the tits for me, eh? <laughs> oh my gosh. It was a different time. Yes. It will be a different time. In the future. It will have been a different time. 1952. <laughs> 
At the military base, they're greeted by Colonel Parker, who Elma knew back when she was flying Wasp VTOLs in the Human Bugger Wars. She, <laughs> she doesn't like him because he was handsy with the lady pilots. He doesn't like her because she reported him for malfeasance, conduct unbecoming, and also malingering. <laughs> Colonel Parker takes her husband and promotes him to a famous scientist and takes him to cool secret meetings. Elma is dismissed to help cook dinners at an officer wife's house. This is the first time Elma has been in the home of a black woman. She spends a lot of chapters learning about racism. <laughs> this is much cooler than the cool secret meetings her husband goes to. When he gets home, he always tells her, Elma, you sure are lucky you're learning about racism instead of making policy that affects millions with the men. <laughs> Just think. While you discover that despite our differences, we really all value home and hearth and family and beating the Ruskies. And I'm sitting in a James Bond villain bunker, smoking cigars and launching nukes, and being respected and loved for the mere presence of my external genitalia. <laughs> I tell you, Elma, I'd trade with you in a Washington, D.C. minute. <laughs> They fall into a somber silence. Washington, D.C. was destroyed by the media. <laughs> <laughs> to improve their mood, she narrates their sexual contortions in painstaking detail. <laughs> I put down the book and massage Summer's shoulder. She's all... Hands off, six weeks postpartum. You can wait. That or take care of it yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I decide to skip ahead a chapter. <laughs> Is that my only speaking? Part? No, you have another one. Okay, cool. So, oh, so stay, stay, stick around. <laughs> it turns out not only Washington D.C. was destroyed; the entire eastern seaboard is a mess, and millions of refugees are headed west. Elma is also a math genius, so she figures out that the meteorite will cause global cooling, then global warming, then global cooling, then global swamp period, then the Cretaceous, <laughs> then global boiling, resulting in the death of the entire human race. From math, I missed that day in Algebra 2 in high school. <laughs> Nobody will listen to her because she's a woman. Fortunately, the only surviving member of the entire U.S. government is the Minister of Agriculture. He listens intently to her math and shushes his aides when they sputter indignantly at being talked to by a female and her quote-unquote yucky any bits. <laughs> his all, boys, I know a little something about farming, and this sounds like a serious threat to the legumes business. <laughs> as soon as possible, we'll board a starship, a, a battle star, to escape the ravages of this threat to our continued existence. I lean forward intently. This is also how Battlestar Galactica started. <laughs> Confusingly, instead of fighting robots or showing Trisha Helfer in a skippy red dress, the plot jumps forward ten years. Elma is now a computer at NACA, the future and less pronounceable version of NASA, <laughs> and Nathaniel is the head engineer. Both of them are also now Jewish. <laughs> I'm 
Was it really not mentioned before? No, it was. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like now is when I started noticing it. <laughs> Colonel Stetson Parker is successfully launched into space, heralding mankind's first step into the night sky, which incidentally, nobody can see anymore because of space debris and clouds. Over the radio, Colonel Parker is all, This is one small step for mankind, one giant leap for penises. <laughs> Get rid of slimy girls, boys roll. <laughs> Elma shakes her head and smiles. Stetson Parker can be charming when he wants to be. <laughs> Later that night, Nathaniel sparks Elma's initiation sequence, Ew. marking the first in a long run of phallic rocket puns that will become the hallmark of their sex life and eventually gross out their grandchildren at family reunions. <laughs> <laughs> Elma points out that there really ought to be some women astronauts, since the Battlestar will need women for things like reproduction and eventually becoming Starbuck. <laughs> her proposal is swatted down by the head of the agency. To prove her point, she meets up with other WASP pilots. There's a rich, there's a rich Russian heiress named Anastasia, some uppity white bitch journalist, some pilots of color, and a few white Anglo-Saxon Protestants who Elma belatedly realizes may have taken her invitation the wrong way. <laughs> Together, the women decide to put on an air show. Unfortunately, it turns there are no remaining WASP VTOLs from the Clone Wars. <laughs> One of the black pilots is all Actually, the Colored People's Flying Club has loads of those Loads of fighters Tons of them <laughs> You know why? Because we know a separate but equal really means <laughs> They put on the air show To prove that women can do anything they want Elma flies into a flock of geese <laughs> Because their beaks are symbolically phallic <laughs> Unfortunately, the beaks penetrate her fighter, forcing her to pull out of a tailspin. Upon landing, she's more anxious about the reporters than the fact that she almost entered into sharp congress with the tarmac. Wow. Very nice. That was all in the book. I'm not even changing that much. Okay, Clone Wars. <laughs> Wasn't that in there? <laughs> Maybe I skimmed that part. A few weeks later, Elma gets a call from the Far Future's most popular children's show about science and or Dungeons and Dragons called Watch Mr. Wizard. <laughs> the Wiz himself wants her to be his guest of honor to talk about space, spaceships, and her preferred armor class of bikini mail. <laughs> Elma has social anxiety because she was the only girl in college, so she pukes a bunch, and she's terrified that the whole world will know that she is weak. Mr. Wizard is all, you know we can do like a hundred takes if we need to. That helps her feel better. <laughs> she stops throwing up and answers all of his questions. One, space is a big empty vacuum filled with uncountable horrors. <laughs> Two, spaceships are for fleeing the global warming holocaust. And three, a 34 DD with a class of four and the ability to force a Thaco reroll. <laughs> Later that night, Nathaniel's all, blast off! 
after she activates his solid propellant to eject reaction mass to produce thrust. With every chapter, the rocket euphemisms get more elaborate. <laughs> oh my goodness. What's wrong? Please continue. <laughs> Elma is now famous as the lady astronaut and is invited to children's birthday parties to talk about why women should be allowed aboard the Battlestar. <laughs> she glances at the kids' parents nervously, thinking it's probably their responsibility to explain <laughs> this stuff. <laughs> After their reaction, her social anxiety grows. Eventually, Nathaniel catches her throwing up and forces her to see a lady doctor. <laughs> the lady doctor gives her a prescription for an anti-hysteria pill called Milltown. At first, Elma doesn't want to take Milltown, probably because the second, third, and fourth stages of meprobromate synthesis have chemical chains that look sort of like a swastika. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's Jewish. This is true. <laughs> then she remembers all the important lessons she's learned about racism and tolerance, and also how stressed she is, and takes the medicine. It just works. It, like magic. It just works. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it just works. Yeah. You don't have to wait, like, 14 days or anything. <laughs> I glance at my bookmark and realize I'm only halfway finished. <laughs> I turn to Summer and go, wow, after so much build-up and painstaking description with all this racism and, and sexism and period anxiety and how they can't talk about it, going to the moon is going to be so detailed and interesting. Summer, who's already finished the book, is all... Don't hold your breath. <laughs> Even though I'm a little disappointed with Summer that she may have given away a key plot point about Elma running out of oxygen during a spacewalk, <laughs> I continue reading. It's very optimistic of you. Surely the second half of the book can't be the same stuff. Let's find out together. <laughs> Elma and Nathaniel go to Chicago for a vacation but one of Naka's rockets explodes and lands on a puppy orphanage, <laughs> sparking a congressional hearing on the value of the space program. I think this part of the book is supposed to shock us with American bureaucratic ineptitude, but we live in the Trump era, so I'll just skip the next hundred pages. <laughs> because of her composure during the hearing, Naka opens its doors to women astronauts at long last. Elma applies and is put through a rigorous battery of tests. She passes the physical exam easily because she watched the standing up montage from Captain Marvel. <laughs> when the interviewers ask why she wants to be an astronaut, she points out the various benefits of women in the space program. She's all, did you know that the g-forces of a rocket launch press uncomfortably on penises? <laughs> <laughs> Women don't have that problem. <laughs> Everyone applauds the soundness of her argument. <laughs> One of them asks, So, uh, are you taking any medications we should be aware of? <laughs> Say, uh, a tranquilizer or, or mood adjuster. Maybe something with possible side effects that include blood toxicity, substance dependence, delayed reaction times, uh, sluggishness, <laughs> loss of muscle control, impairment of breathing, <laughs> shock, or an over-reliance on sexual innuendos to describe intimate <laughs> moments. <laughs> you know, anything that could prove fatal or terminal during a space mission and pose a direct uh, and clear danger to your crewmates. 
Elmo's all, nope, <laughs> not me, not hysterical at all. <laughs> Where's the fainting couch? <laughs> because she's now an wow. ass. What? <laughs> because she's now an astronaut in training, Elma. Elma is assigned to fly a doomsday bomber with Stetson Parker. As soon as they're above the cloud line, he speaks into his radio, which apparently no one else can hear. I know you've noticed my paralyzed <laughs> leg that I drag around everywhere. <laughs> Women can't be trusted with secrets. <laughs> Gossiping hags, all of you to a one. <laughs> but despite you reporting me for pinching all those rumps back in the War of the Worlds, I think you've got real spunk. <laughs> so listen good, Missy. Even with a bum leg, that still means I've got two good legs. <laughs> Oma stares at him. I'm talking about my penis. <laughs> so here's the deal. You don't tell anyone about my leg, and I won't tell anyone about you using Milltown. Yep. This is all very tense, but the problem sort of resolves itself when Parker is outed as having a bad leg. He's on the verge of revealing Elmo's Milltown addiction, but pre she preempts him by just saying in the Naka meeting that she uses Milltown. <laughs> the director and all the other astronauts are all, yeah, cool, 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 you know, whatever works for you. Most of us are sky high on amphetamines, like, all the time. <laughs> you know how scary space is? <laughs> Can't get through a mission without snorting a pinch. <laughs> Elma turns to Nathaniel. Atlas One, should we prepare to repressurize the seal? <laughs> Everybody rolls their eyes. <laughs> they're still in the meeting. <laughs> At long last, after 400 pages of sexism... Elma York is going into space. She walks us through her day. She gets up, goes number two. <laughs> Can't squeeze out an, any number one because she's so nervous. She fasts. She doesn't have her usual bagel and schmear. She describes her usual routine and then says she's not doing that. She goes and gears up in astronaut clothes. It takes 40 minutes of book time. She rides the elevator up to the rocket launch reaches the top and people are looking at her and she can't hear him through the helmet and then she looks and she has to step across that centimeter wide gap kind of like when you're getting on an airplane and it's even though it's a centimeter it feels like it's 10 miles long and you're gonna fall through to the baggage cart <laughs> then she's on there and someone says something a little sexist but in a way that shows that they've come to respect her as not only a woman not only as someone with without external genitalia but also <laughs> as a human being she responds by peeing in her space diaper <laughs> the countdown starts at 1000 Mary Robin at Kowal types out each number and the thoughts going through Elma York's mind as they go through T minus 871 will I be anxious in space T minus 432. Man, I hope, I hope Nathaniel has some solid propellant for me to eject when I get back. <laughs> T minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 
one seven eighths, one quarter. <laughs> In anticipation, I turn the page. Psych, it's the acknowledgments, the end. <laughs> oh, wow. That was quite. That was mean. A build up to a ride. Yeah. Yep, yeah. that's uh, nicely done. <clears throat> okay, so that was my synopsis. Thank you. Yeah, that, that was, was great. I enjoyed that doozy. immensely. I liked my um, speaking parts. Yes. Thank you for including me. You're welcome. Yeah, I'm hoping that's a that's a feature <laughs> in the future. Future. Added a level of realism. <laughs> All right. Well, now it's it's my turn to talk about some bad takes. Only, well, yeah, that's the thing we do. I only <laughs> I only chose one from this is a Google review. Five out of five stars, and um, I just totally disagree with this first sentence. The space happy core from Portal Two came to mind as I finished this novel. What? Really? Space. I, yeah, space. Space. Okay, so I haven't played Portal Two. Oh. Uh oh. But I mean, there's not a lot of space in, <laughs> in this book. Yeah. Well, Huh. I mean, that's a great, that's a great reference, but I totally wouldn't think of that at all with this book. Uh, Can we get to comment on that? Like, yeah, go ahead. So, have you guys? You've so I know Summer has. Have you seen Hidden Figures, Brock? I uh, yes, I did. So I liked that. Yeah, Hidden uh -huh. Figures was a good movie. Yeah, and uh, one of the reasons I liked it is I knew going in that no one in the main cast was going to space. <laughs> <laughs> like I knew they so, were going to be doing computations and putting up with racism. Yes. Right. So that, that expectation was off the table. Yeah. So when a book is called the Lady Astronaut series, I was a little excited. That they were actually going to go into space. That there was going to be some space stuff in it. Yeah. Yes. Well, but the book was called The Calculating Stars. And when I first read that, title I thought it meant like the actual stars in the sky but no I think it means it's the like superstars yeah yeah, yeah the Some computer people who women are good at calculating yeah yeah the stars of it I guess uh I thought this sentence was really funny our main character Dr. Elma York is a bit of a woman wunderkind who can do it all but she provides an excellent window into this alternate history as she's Jewish educated and befriends some black people <laughs> who awaken her to the racial prejudice still very much alive in this alternate 1950s. Huh. So, <clears throat> uh, so, so are there that? some implications <laughs> in that sentence about what you would expect from a Jewish person yeah that, like and i, I think it's, <laughs> it's like i think it's wording rather than maybe yeah i don't think it's intent but, but like <laughs> it made me laugh when i read it have you ever met a jewish person who's educated like, <laughs> and, and not racist yeah like uh well yeah that's perhaps some unfortunate uh Sentence. Well, but what do you guys? What do you guys think about that in terms of the book? Because I felt, um, 
uh, what like about the racial prejudices and like how she like didn't realize it. I don't know. I mean, what do you what? Do you, how do you feel the book actually? Like how um, well did it? How do well it? it did it? Oh, okay. I thought it. I thought it did reasonably well um, in terms of like depicting the minorities in you know the the active roles that they actually filled rather than like sort of as as a backdrop for like but look at our but look at our main characters like look at how exceptional they are um i th i thought it did a a reasonably good job of depicting um you know the the black women that she flies with and um sort of her realization of that in a you know, in a period of time where she's sort of uncovering the layers of prejudice around her, mm -hmm. or like you know, she's aware of, she's certainly aware of the the layers of prejudice that affect her. Um, and then you know, as she broadens her view, she sort of discovers like well, obviously there are other points of view and perspectives that like that. Uh, you know that don't affect her, but um, but that obviously exist. Uh, yeah, I I don't know. What do you, what do you all think? I mean, I've seen Mad Men, so I, uh, that's ten years later, so I know it's <laughs> super racist <laughs> and sexist. Um, well, I felt like I felt like it was kind of mentioned. Like the racial prejudice and the sexual prejudice, but I feel like it wasn't um, as real as it probably as it probably was in that time. Like as realistic as it could have been. Yeah, it did. It did seem <coughs> to have lost some of its teeth. I don't know if I would complain about that because I'm kind of grateful that it wasn't more. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean. Because it can just be so unrelenting. Mm -hmm. I mean, so first of all, I didn't think that that was what this novel was going to be, mm -hmm. um, and and I don't mind what it was. I I didn't I didn't really dislike it that much. I, it, it really was on the fence for me. Um, so it's not like I got in there and was like, oh, how preachy. You know, I I thought it did a pretty good job. Um, yeah, I mean, it, like the racism didn't seem as insidious as it would have been but like a lot of things didn't like how lucky are they that they got like the minister oh he's not minister but whatever he is of agriculture mm -hmm. who's like oh no yeah like all this global change stuff makes sense and here we are in 2019 and we can't like establish a politician who like <laughs> yeah <laughs> like have a coherent statement on that kind of thing I mean, it's just like in some ways it was more forward thinking than we are now um so i don't know i mean but it is an alternate thing and and i think it does a pretty good job of explaining like well you know the united states just got its eastern seaboard wiped out you know it, it would probably need u.n help um it makes sense that now this is an yeah. international effort and um you know if you don't play nice with people who maybe don't look exactly like you or speak perfect English. It's gonna, you know, you're just gonna die. <laughs> so I guess it explained it a little. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know, I didn't mind it. All right. 
how do we feel about the author's examination of social anxiety and medical treatment for that? That's what it's mentioned in here that they feel that the author was honest and frank. I thought it was very honest and frank that it exists and can affect you in ways that that are physical. Yeah. Like it's not just yeah. like in your head. I mean, you can it makes you sick. It was it was interesting to me that the Milltown didn't give her like raging IBS. <laughs> <laughs> just sort of worked. Didn't have any side effects at all for her. You know, yeah. other than solid propellant thrust mass. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually kind of have a note about that in my uh, discussion notes, just sort of about how she, how Mary Robinette Kowal depicts social anxiety, but also some things that are just, seem like her lived experience as a woman. Mm -hmm. um, there's in the narration, so it's not a thing that Elma says, it's it's in the narration, um, the phrase, does that make sense? You know, so she, like, she's saying it to us, the reader, it appears at least two different times. And I, at first I thought it seemed really strange, um, but I, and I don't think it completely works because uh, it has to be such a specific type of book to directly address the reader like that. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not, that that is a narrative choice and tool to directly address the reader in, in a way like that. And it doesn't get used anywhere else, but there's a couple times where, she, where you know, she's telling us something as the reader and says, and she says, does that make sense? Um, and I and I understand this sort of apologetic tone that she's trying to evoke. That you know, where where there are times where a woman being knowledgeable it, it comes across as threatening, and so women sort of have to adapt to that with with those types of does that make sense phrases um, to to be less threatening. Even though, even though a woman might be very knowledgeable and competent, they still couch their opinions and and their you know explanations in that in that type of language. So I thought I thought that was kind of an interesting uh, an interesting device that she used to to communicate that. Did either of you notice that? Yeah, and there were kind of some weird times that, like. You know, reading uh, N.K. Jemison's story, where it's clearly talking to someone, mm -hmm. and you know it, it, you know it's talking to the main character, um, right? And and in the whole time I was going like, okay, well, who's narrating it then, and to whom, and and what is the situation for it? What are the circumstances of this? And it answers it. Um, this one, where it was all in second, you know, it's all in this. She's telling a story, and at times it goes into second person. Even in the on the first page, it does it, where she says like, "Okay, so me and Nathaniel were up in this cabin. Oh, I'll be frank. We we were there to have sex. Don't see, don't act so scandalized." Or, or she says something <laughs> like that, and I'm going like, "Okay, so who am I 
if you're addressing me. Um, oh, see, and maybe that, maybe I missed that uh, that early on. And so I felt like I was being addressed, like I'm being told a story. So I'm going like, okay, so mm -hmm. so who am I? Am I like a descendant of you? Am I a daughter? You know, <laughs> are you are you telling me right. the story of like how you rose above this? But then like it, you know, th th then at the end, um, <laughs> she's just like, today I'm going into space. So I was, I was like that was just okay. So I'm not anyone. Um, right. So I don't know. I I didn't mind it at all until basically the last chapter when I was a little taken out of it just because I, I felt like I was somebody uh, being told the story. I thought I was mm -hmm. someone who inhabited it maybe tangentially like a descendant or another young woman mm -hmm. who was maybe getting this perspective on the story for a reason. Um, but no, I, I guess not. Um, which is fine. Mm -hmm. It just at times at times I liked it at times I felt it was a little awkward, I guess. You can't just shrug. Summer, <laughs> she's gesticulating. She's shrugging. She I guess Summer, I'll speak for her uh, as a man. <laughs> hey, hey. I guess hey. she doesn't have an opinion on this one. So, did you like that, Brock? Or you just found it interesting? Or I, I, f I found it an interesting device. Um, I think I did. I did like it, but I, but I like Mary Robinette Kowal. Like I've mm -hmm. listened to her on podcasts mm -hmm. and things and um, I, th I think she is she she is very opinionated in, in that sort of way where she, uh, you know, that is the kind of um, maybe a wink that, you know, that is the kind of thing she would put in her book as a um, as a sort of cl clear nod to, you know, I, I understand the, the plight you know, that she she understands the plight of of women mm -hmm. essentially. Uh, Probably because she is a woman. That's my suspicion. Yeah. Is why she understands. Yeah. <laughs> so so since it sounds like you know uh, Koval's voice pretty well, uh, were there any instances that you noticed that voice? Did it ever pull you out of the story? Did it ever give you additional insight? The uh, um, another I can, I think kind of minor example. Uh, is the several times when she, when Elma says "bless your heart" to someone, and we know that Elma is a Southern woman, having having heard Mary Robinette Kowal talk specifically about this, that when you you know when a Southern person says "bless your heart," it's like patting your hand and, and calling you an idiot, right? It's, <laughs> um, and and so you know there are a couple times when she uses that when I I kind of smiled and. Like okay, I I know what you're getting at, um, but I yes I I I actually do think that does that make sense? That took me out of it a little bit mm -hmm. because I was not um, because my reading wasn't looking at it from the same kind of perspective. I I think that you picked up on mm -hmm. um, uh, you know if this maybe is 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 being narrated to me as a as a lady astronaut you know or as as a descendant or something connect someone connected and uh, invested in the story in that way yeah i, th I thought she was kind of doing something like um that you see some authors do i mean like like how john steinbeck wrote himself as a kid into east of eden and um if you're looking for it you totally notice this kid or uh was it kurt vonnegut 
Fu in one of his novels, he just goes, that was me. And he just, like, <laughs> that's that's me. That's the one telling this story. <laughs> um, where, like, the, the narration is bound up in this idea of you as an inhabitant at some level of the story or that the author inhabits the story. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's necessarily a flaw. I, either what I'm saying or what you're saying, you were drawn out of it because you you had kind of privileged information in a way Sure. That 99.9% of readers probably aren't, you know, right. uh, devotees of, of Kowal's See, podcast. But I I kind of think, though, that that week, that I, I think that does that make sense almost sounds un, unpolished mm. in, in that, in that uh, respect, then. Because, you know, I... And even for me, it you know it did take me out and kind of made me second guess it. Um, but I think you know maybe not knowing what she's driving at would make me go like, is this a like what what am I reading? And mm-hmm. <laughs> does that make sense? Like it, it better make sense. You're writing it. Yeah. <laughs> See, moments like that were kind of periodic reminders that she was talking to me. Mm-hmm. I, I think maybe part of the difficulty I had is that they come very rarely. Um, yeah, so when they yes. came, I hadn't seen them for a hundred pages. And then suddenly there's this reminder that I, maybe I'm an inhabitant of this world. And it always did do that a little bit to me too, Brock, where I would kind of be reading and then go, oh, um, right. Oh, right. I'm, I'm being told this story. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, you're, you're also being told uh, the parts of the story where Nathaniel is you know, pressing her launch button. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Makes it a little awkward. <laughs> like, right, like right. her little yeah. bundle of joy. Yikes. Yep. And, and I was sitting there like, wait, who am I? Yeah. <laughs> Who's being told Why this story? Privy? Why are you privy to that information? Yeah. That's really detailed. It's <laughs> a little yeah. personal. Well, when she was getting into racism for a moment, I was like, well, maybe I'm like a young black woman. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe that's why all the racism is in there, not just the sexism is like, <clears throat> so you need to persevere. But then when she and Nathaniel are like totally getting low and I'm going like, this is, <laughs> this is a super privileged. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're just crazy she's open all, for 1952. All, yeah, it's also yeah. teaching you about loving. Yeah. In innuendos and puns. And, <laughs> and she thinks I don't get it. Yeah. She's like, I took his rocket by the aluminum shaft. And I'm like, no, I know what that means. <laughs> You're not slipping anything by me. She's like, do you know what I did to that crew module? I'm like, I don't, I don't need to. I'm fine. That's all right. <laughs> you mean the tip of the rocket? No, I, I get it. <laughs> Stop docking the crew module. <laughs> Please. It was kind of weird because like this book could have been like a young adult PG-13 book. Yeah. And oh, yeah. and most of the time, that's the mindset I was in when I was reading it. And I have no problem with a book containing sex or cheesecake or swearing or whatever. It's just when I'm in my mindset and suddenly I, I think yeah. I'm reading something that I could, like, recommend mm-hmm. to, like, our daughter in a few years. Yeah. And, and then, like, oh, nope. Yeah, nope. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's like it's like you're, a, uh. you're watching a Disney movie um, with you know, portions of it taped over from Showtime. Yeah. <laughs> it just felt a little incongruous at times, but I'm glad yeah. that they had a good relationship. I mean, it, it didn't it bother was, me. It just it surprised was, me. I'm not meaning was, to sound like a It was a, a fantastic relationship for yeah. 1952. Oh, yeah. Well, I assume, you know, 
that they must were, have existed somewhere. Baby but. boomers came from somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was different to have like a it was like support a supportive marriage. Like they were very supportive and pretty communicative with each other. Like throughout, like that. It's a little unusual. Was it? Was it? <coughs> so I think you mentioned something to me um, when we were discussing it. Mm-hmm. Um, is that maybe Nathaniel was unbelieving, un- unbelievably supportive. Yeah. Now, maybe that's a reflection on me. (laughs) 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 No one would act like that. (laughs) No man about it. So why don't you parse that for us? What do you, what do you think about that? (laughs) Well, so he's obviously very intelligent. He's like the head of the engineering department or whatever, but he's also, um, really great in bed and he's a Nerds he's like, be good he's like bed. I didn't, okay, that's all right. Yeah, okay, well, that's fine. Prove yes, it, that's Dan. true. Um, well, when I was <laughs> ignition sequencing someone. I don't know. Honey, we're not, that's ridiculous. <laughs> okay, and then. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just trying to narrate but he's also like, But he's also super, like, incredibly supportive of, like, all of her decisions. And, like, and he knows how to calm her down, like when she has these anxiety attacks, but it's like he doesn't actually know she has anxiety, which I thought was a little weird. And then, you know, like he tells her to do math and it calms her down. Right. Uh, we've been married 10 years and we still don't know how to calm each other down sometimes. No. And those, and those kind of how things can be... 11 years. Oh, 11 years. Yeah. Yeah. Happy anniversary. Oh, hey, congratulations. <laughs> uh, um, but, you know, and those those kind of things can be, can really be frustrating and drive a wedge. You know, yeah. when you have um, partners who are dealing with, with mental health issues, with anxiety and, and you know. And especially like, with the anxiety of, like, the situation that they're in. Yeah. The world is dying. <laughs> right. The meteorite um, struck the planet. I want to yeah. return to the Milltown thing, but um, but on this point, he so, just seemed too perfect. I mean, he was the perfect man. Well, so not only was he cr- incredibly supportive, and he knew how to like he had a soft hand with her. Um, there was no trace of what you would think would be like nineteen fifties kind of that attitude of ownership. And and obviously, I like all of that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah it, it it's was very great. modern. Yeah, it was very nice. Um, and I liked how supportive their marriage was. I, I thought that approaching when they got into kind of her social anxiety, I thought it was going to be kind of like, that's like the one thing that he isn't basically like a modern progressive about. Sure. Where he would be yeah. like, what are you talking about? Why are you being hysterical? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. go lie down. You know, like like that would be the one thing where finally he doesn't know. His flaw. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it, I mean it, would it even be a flaw? Like, can a character be a product of his time and not be, you know, and we can say, well, look, the world's improved and clearly he's a good person who struggles with these things and is trying to get better. Yeah. And and hopefully the character would come around mm-hmm. and would understand it in time. But it seemed like a place where I, I thought it was totally going, going to be a conflict. And I was kind of excited to see this really rock steady marriage not break apart. I didn't want bad just things. Have just have a little bit of rockiness. Yeah. Like yeah. like one time when they don't understand each other. And and it didn't happen and that's fine. Um it it just you know, like not everyone is not everyone is forward thinking in every area. Yeah. 
yeah. Nathaniel point. York is. Um, and yeah. that's great for them. I, you know, it was, I, I really, and I don't want to oversell this because I really liked the depiction of their marriage otherwise. I liked that they were into each other. I liked that they supported each other. I liked that they found each other both sexually and intellectually stimulating. Like they liked mm -hmm. things about each other. You mm -hmm. could see why these two got together. Yeah. Um, it's just like at no point was she like, you're staying at work too long. Or like I need more support. Right. Like I'm tired. Right. And no, at no point was he like that to her. Mm -hmm. Like at no point was he like, I don't know if I want you to be an astronaut. Like things yeah. go wrong. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, you know, all of the women who are waiting terrified <laughs> for their husbands to survive or not. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I can handle doing that as the lead engineer. Mm -hmm. Like at no point was it. At no point were they selfish even in a way that I think would be reasonable. Mm -hmm. Would be yeah, understandable and, right. and you would expect. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, so he was anxious when, like, during the flight show when she hit the bird flock of birds. Well, yeah, I mean, he's not going to be like, mm -hmm. oh, good, a chance to show off. <laughs> well, he did take her to the doctor. Yeah, and he took her to the he doctor. forced her to go to the she, lady doctor. When she vomited in yeah. his office. But at that point, I mean, even that, I didn't feel like it was some sort of paternalistic, like... My hysterical wife doesn't know what's good for her. I thought it was like, okay, you need help. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're clearly not thinking clearly. Yeah. yeah, even the, you know, the trip to the doctor, that's pretty progressive, mm -hmm. you know, in, in terms of like, let's, and maybe it was. Well, it's progressive. You're right in the sense that it's not get over it. it yes. But it, but it also is of its time in that like. Fix my, fix my wife. Well, yeah. Well, he and he <laughs> yeah. made the appointment and took her. Yeah. And I was like, you go, so, you're going I don't know. to this appointment. Let's call that. We'll call that a wash. Yeah. <laughs> the pot. Yeah, cancels out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like Stetson Parker's missing leg. <laughs> <laughs> He's still got the spare. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. So you wanted to talk about the mill town. Okay. So I've got a question for you guys, and I don't want to preempt your, I don't want to preclude any of your discussion topics, Brock, but this, this is something that really was genuinely bothering me in the last quarter of the novel. Wasn't, okay, so wasn't Stetson Parker, he was wrong about concealing his leg, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. Wasn't she wrong about concealing her Milltown use? That did bother me a little. Because there are a ton of side effects. So the reason I looked it up and saw that its chemical composition really does look a little bit like a swastika <laughs> is because I was looking it up to like... To like, see what the side effects right, were. Right, like what what are the uses of... Like how long does it take to work? Because a lot of, as you may know, a lot of antidepressants and anti-anxiety uh, medications take a couple of weeks before they kick in. Well, and you have to... You know, sometimes you have to try different dosage. Right, and you have sometimes to you have to taper. Sometimes yes. you, you take half a dosage for a couple of weeks, then you take the full dosage, and then sometimes you go up even more. And coming right. down can be devastating. Or sometimes you have to try something else because it's not working. Right, like it can take a long time. Yeah. And even though Milltown isn't isn't used primarily anymore, it, there's still good, some good drug information about it, and it has a ton of side effects. Mm. Um, and, you know, if... if they're, they're, they're obviously not going to affect everyone. Um, like any drug, you may or may not have the side effects. Right. But the side effects don't always occur the first time you use it. Sometimes the side effects can come later. Mm -hmm. So isn't she being like Stetson Parker when she 
has a mind-altering drug, a mood-altering drug, that can potentially... It, she mentions that it affects her reaction times. It can mess up, like, muscle response. All of the things I listed in my thing, except for <laughs> sexual in innuendo-making, <laughs> were actual side effects. Mm. Mm -hmm. is, is, doesn't that, in, I, in a way, make her no better than Stetson Parker? You know, the pinching bums of unwilling pilots is a different issue, but in terms of endangering <laughs> right. your crew... So what do you guys think? I, it made me a little uncomfortable. So is this another example of the attitude about physical ailments versus mental health? Is it, and, and maybe even unintentionally on Mary Robinette Coel's part that she's not, uh, not equating the two and not, um, you know, not, not treating mental health as seriously as physical health where she's saying look how bad this guy is because he has a physical barrier mm -hmm. but we're going to forgive our protagonist f who has a you know who has a mental health issue that she's sometimes treating and well keeping hidden in the same breath um stetson parker's still in the space program according to the book and that he eventually does like go back into space like it kind of says that right and and i want to clarify but he gets like he gets better right like I, and i don't think that she shouldn't go into space that's not that's not what i my issue right. is mm -hmm. my issue is is that once she can demonstrate that she is stable and and my my issue is that she lies about it. That she withholds that information. She directly lies right. about it in her interview process. That's critical information for something like going up in space on a stressful mission and being on life support with crew that rely on you. Where flipping the wrong switch might kill you. Yeah. Um, I, so so Stetson Parker after he has had his surgery and his recovery and his physical therapy and once he's back up there i have no problem with him going back to space other than that he's a jackass i mean the, <laughs> the same go the same goes for elma york if she demonstrates that she has this disorder in hand that her dosage is totally working i, I have no problem with her going to space the issue is that she's withholding it like that's what concerns me yeah. does that distinction but, make sense or am i just oh silly no, because she, you know, she is very concerned and, you know, and, and very clearly is depicting that Stetson Parker is doing the wrong thing, that he is being deceptive and should not, you know, he should not be keeping this a secret. Mm -hmm. um, and at the same time, she is keeping, keeping her condition secret. Um, well, I just want to, I just want to add one more thing. So I think... I think maybe um, I think we're all like on the same tangent, and that she she does kind of sweep it under the rug because what happens is there's that critical moment where there the as a computer she's in the in the room at the very it's near the end, and they all realize oh we need a computer on board, and then they're like oh we definitely need women astronauts we need women computers on the rockets so that mm -hmm. they can figure that out in while they're in space because there's something about the rocket needed to turn or something to like to get right. back to the space station or something like that, 
and she had she was doing the math in her head and so they were like oh wow she can do that and she's like it's a good thing I had my milltown and it's kind of like oh well that's the that's the whole problem solved she is stable she's totally fine she can do those computations of taking a milltown so I think that was what I think that's how she kind of quickly okayed her, yeah, like she her mental health. It that way. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know if that's reliable, though. Well, I know. I know. That's what I'm saying. Is right. It, it seemed, it was very quick. Right. Well, and it's also unreliable because clearly, like, her husband had to take her to the doctor. I don't know if anyone, in a mental health situation, can anyone really self-assess? Mm-hmm. Or do you kind of need someone to help you assess? Yeah. Yes, I yeah I think an an outside party is pretty pretty important. Yeah. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about? No, I have one line written down, uh, where after I was reading the acknowledgments, and she mentioned that Stetson, uh, Stetson Parker wasn't in the first draft, mm-hmm. um, and that Brandon Sanderson suggested that. Yeah, I, I read just, that. I just wrote down. I knew this thing had the stink of Sanderson. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. Oh, I, no. I like the Oh, man, that's, that's funny. funny. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Well, why don't you take us out then? Okay. Well, okay, so that's our that was our discussion of the calculating stars. Thanks for joining us. And uh, whose turn is it for the next... Who, whose turn is next? Who's choosing the next book? Isn't it Brock? I have no idea. Do this we not was... have a next book? Uh... Summer, this was your pick. This was my pick, yeah. Yeah. I think maybe I'll pick one that I just finished reading. That's convenient. Uh, (laughs) A little book called All the Birds in the Sky. Okay. By Charlie Jane Anders. Cool. Okay. All the Birds in the Sky. Cool. That's what we'll do next time. Yes, indeed. Okay. All right. I'm out of here. I got to feed baby. See ya. Thank you. (laughs) 